Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer. And I'm Jake Sherman. Welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Thursday, January 6th, 2022. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, we've got reflections a year later on January 6th. Number two, the big questions for the January 6th Select Committee and what's next. And number three, where Eric Garcetti's ambassadorial nomination stands. All right, Jake, let's get into it. This is a very solemn day for us and for all of our friends, the people we know, the people we don't know that work on Capitol Hill. Uh, It's going to be a tough day for a lot of folks. And, you know, we've heard from our friends, uh, you know, the people that work around the Capitol complex this week. And it's hard. It's, It's sad. And a lot of people are not okay. Yeah, a lot of people are struggling. It's important to say um, uh, that, you know, I was just talking a a minute ago, Anna, with uh, our friend Jonathan Lemire on Way Too Early, and we write this in the newsletter, and I pointed it out, and I think it's important, and you and I know this inherently, because you and I have been, and Brez, have been around politics and been around Capitol Hill for, uh, since Abe Lincoln was in the house. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, but listen, many people in the Capitol, are yes, many people are political animals like you, me, and Brez, and and love the the just the ups and downs of legislating and politics, but many people are not that. They are lawyers. They are um, uh, maintenance workers, clerical workers, construction workers, electricians, plumbers. I mean, there are just a lot of people who work in the capital, which is a massive complex. It's a community. It's a community that we serve. We serve the political side of it. That's who we write for. That's our readership. But it's also all of those folks who want nothing to do with politics and just go to the Capitol as a job. They might love their job. I'm not suggesting they don't have an interest in their job. But what I am suggesting is they're not coming to work every day wondering about the power games being played in in on Capitol Hill and they want nothing to do with it. So just think about when we think about January 6th, 2021, it's important to keep that in mind. Um and uh like I I I've heard from countless people over the last couple of days, big time reporters, um, some people have been public about it. Some people have not and just come up to me and say, how are you doing? How are you doing this week? I mean, I'm okay. I've just, but there are a lot of people who are not. And that's, and that's understandable. Like there was a, a kind of almost like a veil of um, security, of perceived security that was pierced on that day. So I, I don't know, Anna, you've been around this as longer than me and, uh, you know, we kind of grew up together on Capitol Hill. What's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it is. um, It's, it's hard because, you know, and and we've talked about this and, you know, I know Matt Fuller of the Huffington Post wrote um, kind of his reflections on this, but, you know, we aren't war correspondents, right? There are a lot of people around the world that are living in, you know, real danger every day and they go into it knowing that. But I think that there was, to your point, a feeling like the Capitol was a very safe place. I remember, you know, for years always telling my mom, you know, don't worry. DC does protests well. I'm working out of the Capitol. This is going to be the safe. This is the safest place to be. And I think we really, you know, that was pierced, you know, to use your language on January 6th, 2021. We all of a sudden, this kind of fortress that I think no one really thought would ever be, be you know, actually 
um, you know, broken, was was broken by protesters, was treated. I think the other thing for, for folks who haven't worked on the Hill that's just always, I think, different, that sets Capitol Hill apart and in some ways feels like a throwback era to to other things is, yes, there's a lot of partisan bickering. And yes, there's been a lot of followed. And honestly, I think we've, we're seeing it. The, it be kind of more partisan and more ugly um, than anything kind of after the aftermath of this. But there is this decorum, you know, you know, most men are on the Hill are wearing suits. There is this kind of throwback era and a reverence, but for most people that work in the building for the institution itself. And, you know, this really, I think was, it was damaging to that. Yeah, I think that's right. And, I mean, obviously, the place has changed a ton even since January 6th, the year since January 6th, right? I mean, now there's there's metal detectors around the House floor. I mean, there's shouting matches in the hallway. Um, uh, for months after January 6th, we were in the Capitol. We were um, protected by, like, deployed National Guard troops. They were sleeping in the Capitol. I mean, it was a very very harrowing and intense scene, you know, and, um, uh, I, you know, I, 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 a lot of people struggle with that and even struggle with the building today. I mean, it's, it, sometimes I find myself thinking back to like sitting in the hall in the Senate right outside the chamber where we spend a lot of, a lot of our time and just thinking that like, that was the place that, you know, people got onto the, the Senate floor. And, um, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of haunting, you know, and that right outside of our, of our gallery is the, um, is Statuary Hall. Uh, and that's where people kind of came into the building. We have some video that we took on January with two, two video, many videos this morning in the newsletter, um, that are really interesting. Uh, you, you helped us put together, Put, you helped me and Brez put together our kind of reflections from the day that we have in in the video this in the newsletter this morning, and on our website punchpole.news. Um, I last night put together some clips of right outside of our office, um, uh, people breaking into the east front of the Capitol. Um, so it's it you know we sometimes we kind of find ourselves thinking back to that moment we still sit in the place where where um we were sheltered for that day on January 6th so um you know it's it's a it's uh i i understand how people are not okay and i understand the the lingering trauma for a lot of people there are people anna who just who either quit their job reporters who don't come to the capitol anymore and i get that and it's um you know that it is what it is, and it's it's it was a, it was a dark moment in American history. Absolutely, and today it's going to be one of remembrance, and there's a lot of activity that's going to be happening around there, particularly uh, for Democrats, where they're going to be holding. You know, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris are going to speak at the Capitol at 9 a.m. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is going to hold an off-the-record moment of reflection on the House floor at 10 a.m. Um, and so, you know, there's gonna be a lot of thoughts and a lot of kind of reporting reflections. I hope people will check out the video that we put together uh, with you and John Bresnahan talking about kind of that day, what it was like to be in the building and the aftermath of it. 
Let's move on to the number two story of the morning for us. And that is really the questions facing the January 6th Select Committee. It's been six months since the House voted to create that Select Committee. And the panel is on the brink, Jake, of a new phase of its investigation. This phase is going to include a round of public hearings. The committee is really striving to detail former President Donald Trump's actions leading up to and during the Capitol attack. Um, but we have kind of six pressing questions that we see. I think the first one, which is really the biggest one in my mind, you know, is do they move against members of Congress? If so, when and who? They've asked for some of these voluntary interviews by Representatives Jim Jordan, the Republican from Ohio, and Scott Perry, the Republican from Pennsylvania. And both have indicated that they don't intend to cooperate. This is a big standoff here. That's right. Um, uh, do they subpoena them? Do they, if they don't comply with the subpoena, do they refer them for criminal prosecution to the Justice Department? Would ju- the Justice Department even do anything with that? I mean, the the Obama, the, the Biden administration has um, made it clear that they kind of view this as a uh, outstanding and um, unusual scenario. They've fought against Donald Trump um, exerting executive privilege. So uh, that's where they are. Um, and so we'll ha- these are big decisions for the leadership and for the committee and for the, uh, the DOJ. Now, number two, what does the public phase of this investigation look like? They're going to do hearings. Who do they call? That's as simple as it is. I mean, what, are they, what do those hearings look like? I mean, it's a that's a big question um, uh, as they try to build a public case for this um, for this committee's investigation. Yeah, I think the other questions that we kind of lay out is is one that they're going to have to to kind of figure out how they are going to try to garner the American people's attention. Um, you know, so much of this, what they have been doing has been happening behind closed doors. Uh, you know, and the real question is, you know, are America, do Americans care? Are they listening about, about what this committee is going to be happening? I think the fifth question we lay out, and I, I think is one that, you know, we'll, we will continue to kind of review is, did the House GOP leaders misplay their hand? The fact that they, just, you know, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy decided to pull the plug and, you know, not actually um, participate. So it is, you know, basically a select committee instead of a bipartisan committee. Um, And then, you know, do they have enough time to really finish the job? We are quickly going to move into the election year and, you know, there's going to be a lot of of questions about, you know, can they continue to wrap up the work as we get into 2022? Yeah, I'll just say one thing. I mean, our view is that um, they did misplay their hand in the sense that they could have had power over the subpoenas. That's House Republicans. Um, And uh, they chose not to. So uh, but yeah, the time is tight and they they really have to get going because we are 10 months from Election Day. I think actually today it's 10 months from Election Day, ironically. Um, And so they don't have much time. All right, let's move on to the number three story of the morning. Quickly, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, President Joe Biden's nominee to be U.S. ambassador to India, has been quietly meeting with Democrats on the Foreign Relations Committee as the panel moves toward a vote on his nomination. He was originally nominated last July, but that confirmation process has now dragged out for the mayor of America's second largest city. Yeah, uh, Garcetti has had um, some um, 
allegations about an aide to hit one of his aides um, uh, sexually harassing, allegedly sexually harassing members of his security detail and other aides. Now, Garcetti has said he knows nothing. He knew nothing about this. Uh, Gene Shaheen, who has been expressing pause over over those allegations, um, she she is scheduled to speak to Garcetti. Uh, and Garcetti reached out to her. But remember, Garcetti was not in this year-end package of a lot of ambassadors and a lot of Biden administration nominees. He has to be resubmitted to the committee. Uh, not a huge deal, just another hurdle that the committee has to, uh, another hurdle that Garcetti has to get over. And the White House and Garcetti are kind of facilitating some meetings over this. And remember, I mean, there's been a blockade here of, um, of, some of the nominees, the ambassadorial nominees, uh, because of foreign policy disagreements between Republicans and their uh, uh, and the administration. So we'll have to see what happens here. But Garcetti is, is making some moves behind the scenes. And as a reminder, we are a media partner at CES, the Massive Tech and Policy Conference in Las Vegas. Uh, our colleague Christian Hall was looking at a conversation that happened yesterday afternoon hosted by CTA on trade and global competition, what's needed for leadership in tech. Uh, there was a bunch of takeaways that we have in this morning's newsletter. I think I thought one of the more interesting things, Jake, was Robert Hoffman, Broadcom's head of government affairs, talking about the challenges of being an advocate in tech. He said, quote, I always like to say that I work in a digital industry advising an analog world, and that analog world is Congress. Don't we know that too well in so many ways? Truer words were never said. Uh, today, just a note, CES panels of interest, regulating crypto with Kristen Smith, CEO of the Blockchain Association, is going to happen at 9 a.m. in Las Vegas or noon in D.C. Uh, something that we have focused on quite a bit is the kind of the crypto industry, how they're trying to approach Washington. I'm also going to be moderating a panel, um, the new rules of the road, how tech companies are interacting with Washington at 1230 Las Vegas time or 3.30 p.m. Eastern time at the Female Quotient CES Lounge. This is virtual, so you can tune into that. Coinbase's Kara Calvert and Quorum CEO and co-founder Alex Worth are going to be joining me for that conversation. And with that, thank you so much for listening. Leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to Punchbowl News at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.